What is up, guys? Welcome into another episode of the Blake Pace Podcast. And first off, a happy 4th of July to all you listeners. Um, you know, I'm hoping to spend the rest of my day down in some hot dogs, hamburgers, enjoying the good weather, enjoying a Wednesday off of work. We don't get that that often. But here we are, the 4th of July. We got a lot going on today. Um, this is episode 15 of the Blake Pays Podcast. I have a great interview, a good long interview with, you know, a co-worker of mine, James Ferris, uh, for the season preview for the Cleveland Browns next year. You know, one of the more interesting teams in the league. You think of, you know, going 0-16 last season. Their offense is revamped almost overnight. Um, two quarterbacks in there. You know, they've got a young pass rusher, Miles Garrett, that seems to be headed on an elite track. Um, a lot of great discussions, a lot of great discussion points in that interview, so make sure to stay tuned for that. That'll be in the middle of this episode. Surrounding that episode, of course, my player profile for number 15 will get there in a second, but then we're also going to talk some NBA free agency because um, a lot's happened so far. You know, we've had, you know, essentially four of the biggest names uh, sign with the, you know their teams for the for next season, two of them staying back where they were, two heading to other directions. We'll talk about all four of them. We'll talk about some of the other signings in free agency, how things are shaping up. Um, I'm excited to get this going. Let's get the show on the road. Now I've got a lot of love for my number 15, and you've heard me talk about him time and time and time again. But he's my biggest man crush in in, in maybe all of professional sports right now. I mean. I, I am in love with Kristaps Porzingis of the Knicks, but even he has torn his ACL recently and, you know, kind of given me a little bit of a heartbreak and hopes for his career. Um, Aaron Judge, another one of my uh, heartthrobs, is basically just getting it done now with an entire team of sluggers. So it really makes it, you know, less appealing to love him all by himself when, you know, there's other guys in the Yankees like Gliber Torres, Giancarlo Stanton, Luis Severino, that I can all share the love for in New York. But this man, I have no allegiance to his team, which means I'm allowed to just love him and watch him play on the field. It's kind of like where I've got with Aaron Rodgers. I'm talking about Pat Mahomes, quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs. I cannot get enough of this guy. And you know, it kind of pisses me off. I'm looking at the the headlines, um, the, the news tab on a Google search for Pat Mahomes. All right, let's see. A Chiefs dynasty? One NFL Network host thinks it could happen. Uh, can Patrick Mahomes be the breakout fantasy football player? NFL Network host, Chiefs Pat Mahomes will be a top breakout. All of you shut the hell up. You're way too late on the bandwagon. I'm not accepting it. Pat Mahomes has been my guy since day one. You go back and read my articles before the uh, 2017 NFL draft. He was my number one quarterback. Um, of course, you know, him... It was He was in that class with Deshaun Watson, Mitchell Trubisky. I had him as number one. He was selected with the 10th overall pick when the Buffalo Bills traded away their first round for Kansas City to get up there and select him. Um, and all last season, I've just been raving about how I can't wait for the Chiefs to move on from Alex Smith and give Pat Mahomes the starting position because, you know, 
he just he's just he's gonna tear it up in the nfl next year he's a gunslinger of course you know he's gonna be one of those guys that goes out there and you know thinks that it's kind of like what you got from uh andrew luck in his early years it was man i can make every throw in a football field i'm just gonna chuck it up every time and see what happens and it's exciting to watch now granted there will be you know an interception here or there that's like well pat what the hell were you looking at but that's just his mentality that's his swagger on a football field i can do anything on this football field let me show you my raw athletic ability my cannon of an arm which has to be some one of the strongest arms in football already and of course you know when you've got tyree kill travis kelsey kareem hunt in the backfield sammy watkins andy reed running your team only great things can happen for uh, Pat Mahomes in his first season as starting quarterback in the NFL. And I do have a lot of expectations for the Chiefs moving forward this next season. Of course, I expect a little bit of a learning curve with Pat Mahomes, you know, getting into the NFL, um, starting, you know, your first game, your first few games. That's a that's a learning curve. We saw it, you know, last year uh, with Mitchell Trubisky when he got in there, it kind of got a little bit better as the season went on. Um you know, Carson Wentz in his rookie year as well was something like that. Um, Andrew Luck, RG3, it takes a few games right off the bat to really get into things. You're not going to be a star from day one. But, you know, this Chiefs team, offensively at least, is one of the better offenses in football. Um, of course, the defense is a little shaky to me, looking at all the guys that they've had to get rid of. They've had some aging vets that they had to trade. Eric Berry's coming back from, you know, a season-ending injury last year. They trade away Marcus Peters. I, I definitely see the question marks on their defense. And we'll we'll preview the Chiefs, um, you know, later in July, maybe into the early August period because, you know, we're going through that list alphabetically and whatnot, and Kansas City's a little bit of ways um, away. But I do have some high expectations for the Chiefs and what they're able to do in this offense for Pat Mahomes. And it got me thinking, and I'm ready to give – my my stats prediction for Pat Mahomes this upcoming year uh, with Kansas City. This doesn't involve wins, losses, yards, completion percentage, touchdowns, and interceptions. So starting off with this uh, season prediction for Pat Mahomes, the first thing I look at is passing yards. And, you know, the, that might be the highest expectation I have for, for Pat Mahomes in this Chiefs offense. It is going to be one of the more big play offenses in all of football. Um, when you have a deep threat like Tyree Kill and a guy that can get him the ball, there should be a lot of big plays with this offense. The same goes with Sammy Watkins and um, Travis Kelsey up the middle. You know, their, their running back committee was Spencer Ware and Kareem Hunt out of the backfield. So I, I'm going high on the, on the yards predictions. I think he's going to get around 3,750 passing yards in his first season. Now, this could be, you know, a little too low if he, you know, as a, I expect him to play the full 16 games of the season. I think that's realistic enough. Um, you know, I've seen some people project that he might just break that 4,000 yard season. I don't see it in year one. I definitely believe that, you know, the completion percentage is going to be a little lower than it will be in years, um, you know, as the, as his years go on. And that way he'll miss out on some throws. You know, there'll be some big plays that get missed early on just as he gets into the group of the NFL. Um, touchdowns, I'm going 23 through the air. Uh, three as well on the ground. You cannot mistake Pat Mahomes' ability to move outside of the pocket and on the run. He is as athletic as they come at the quarterback position, and um, you definitely have to watch out for him in you know this RPO wave of the NFL. Um, of course, you know QB sneaks as well taken in consideration. He's got a big body. He can definitely push through the pile. Um, so 23 touchdowns in the air, three touchdowns on the ground. 
I think he's going to have around a 63 completion percentage. Um, you know, I think that that's not too high for a rookie quarterback. Um, I don't believe it's necessarily too low either. Specifically looking at the quarterbacks from two years ago, Carson Wentz in his first in his rookie season through around that same area, he was at 62.4 completion percentage. Um, of course, that dipped down to a little lower in his second year. But Jared Goff also in, you know, what I'm counting as his first full season this past year. I, you know, <clears throat> his rookie year was just something that I, I completely disregard in terms of his career. It was a mess of a situation with Jeff Fisher. The quarterback room wasn't, you know, in full support of Jared Goff. And he had a terrible rookie year where he threw for 54.6 completion percentage. But last season, that was up to 62.1. Um <clears throat> Pat also has, you know, a great set of targets to throw to. Travis Kelsey is one of the more more reliable catchers in the middle of the field. Um, you know, Tyreek Hill, if he can get that deep ball connection, he's going to have some great uh, completions to him as well. Sammy Watkins can work all around the field, can run a lot of routes. Um, I expect a lot of things to come out of, uh, you know, these weapons benefiting what we're going to see from Pat Mahomes. So I'm sticking with the 63 uh, completion percentage. And then the last thing, of course, I'm going to go around 16 interceptions. Like I said, I think he'll be, you know, among starting quarterbacks in that higher tier of interceptions thrown, um, you know, with the likes of like an Eli Manning, what we've seen the past few years from him. He's really been up there in interceptions um, just because he is going to think, you know, in his first season, man, I can essentially do anything on a football field. I can make all these different throws, all these throws from different angles. I can, you know, fit these tiny uh you know, holes in between the defense to make things work. And it's not always going to work into his favor. You know, a guy that I, I don't really compare him to. I think that athletically, they remind me of the same as they can make throws off of just about the same amount of angles. And, you know, I, I don't want to say that he's the next coming of this talent, but Aaron Rodgers in his rookie season was kind of like that as well. Not his rookie season, his first year as <clears throat> full-time starter in 2008. Um, you know, what we got from him in that season was right around 4,000 yards, 28 touchdowns. He also had, you know, what is now still a career high 13 interceptions. Um, I think Pat Mahomes is going to have more to do in that offense than Rodgers did in his rookie season. I think that, you know, Mahomes just has the keys to the car and he's going to see what works. He's going to try things out. He's going to try and make a lot of errant throws. And I think that's just going to come to bite him in the butt. I think he ends up around that, you know, 16 interception range. Maybe it's a, maybe I'm a little too high on that. Maybe I should tone it down maybe to the 14, 13 range, kind of like Rodgers in his first year as a starter. But I definitely think that he'll throw a certain amount of interceptions. And now you look at all those stats, you know, 37, uh, you know, 3,750 passing yards, 23 touchdowns, a 63 completion percentage, 16 interceptions or 16 interceptions, three touchdowns on the ground. To me, that is a great start for your NFL career. Um, the Chiefs, I view as a playoff team um, or, you know, a team fighting in that, you know, in what seems to be an easier AFC than what you get from, um, you know, when you look at the NFC. I certainly believe that he can really work in a good season and maybe even be in consideration for Pro Bowl. If he has, you know, electrifying throws and he has all these highlight plays that I expect that he can make, um, especially in that offensive scheme. Uh, that could get a lot of votes and, you know, you could see in, you know, his first season, him making the Pro Bowl. So um, there's more of my in-depth projection for the love of my life, Pat Mahomes in his rookie season. I'm excited to hear what you all think. Uh, make sure to let me know, you know, of course, I might be riding way too high on my guy, Pat Mahomes, but I'm sticking with it. Tell me if I'm wrong. Let's have an open discussion. I'd love to hear what you have to say. But for now, we're going to move on.
in just a few minutes we will have that interview with uh me and james ferris talking about the cleveland browns a lot of great stuff so make sure to stay tuned for that but i wanted to uh you know get in my first part of nba free agency talk to you all um we're sitting here fourth of july a lot has happened so far and you know first of all i'm gonna start with lebron james signing with the los angeles lakers um nba all-time greats have three different parts of their career you know the first part is the show-off phase you know you just get into the league let me show you everything i can do lebron james i, I can score i can pass i can rebound i can improve my shooting i can uh, change to how the league needs me to fit what's the current mold of the nba um then there's that second phase you got to win championships um lebron went to miami won two came back to cleveland won another of course you'll never give him the credit for winning three championships with two different franchises but you know that was the 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 second part of his career let me win championships and then the third is the mogul phase and you know that was kind of what we saw with michael jordan maybe when he went to uh baseball for a few years well let me see what i can do elsewhere maybe when he tried to go to the wizards it was oh let's see what he can do on his on a second team now away from chicago uh lebron going to la is officially entering into that mogul phase and I'm not saying that, you know, championships are out of the window for L.A. I definitely don't think it's likely in, you know, the next year or two. They definitely have to work on building something concrete while he is still there and able to put, uh, perform at a high level. But, you know, the way things are shaping up, it seems to be that this move is not just for, you know, marketability, but, you know, for his family. Of course, now in a major market away from Cleveland, you can work on, you know, in production um, in the production company in the in the movie industry um, there are a lot of things that can go out there you know I I would love to see LeBron James in a Space Jam too I loved Space Jam growing up certainly would like to see a sequel come out with the king uh, you know leading up working with the Toon Squad um, but LeBron is just in that mogul phases now mogul phase now in that part of his career and teaming up with Magic Johnson is you know the perfect start for it you know Magic Johnson is one of the guys when you talk about LA you can't talk about the NBA let alone the Lakers without talking about Magic Johnson he really was you know one of the bigger faces in NBA history um, to play for Los Angeles and if I'm putting my money on it you know the greatest Laker to ever play I know there's Kareem um, you know Shaq and his you know days with the Lakers Kobe as well um, you know to me Magic Johnson is the greatest Laker to ever play the game and now he gets to team up with LeBron James and try and build a winning culture around some young guys maybe bring in some stars in a year um, but this move was centered around LeBron for you know almost everything besides basketball in my eyes it was for family it was for money um, it was for marketing opportunity marketability and I really think that um, it's going to be exciting you know I, I was kind of over LeBron in Cleveland it was kind of dragging on well let's see how much he can do to carry this team to another championship and oh he lets down the hometown state again and they lose another finals to the the most unstoppable team in nba history that storyline was getting a little too old for me and i was ready for him to move on to the lakers that was my prediction i thought he was going to be a laker it just made too much sense at the end of the day i you know at the end of the day it was between cleveland la and you know that outside chance to philly um <clears throat> but the lakers ended up winning that one for him and you know i love the move the other signings were very interesting to me. Um, I've said it before on shows, the way to beat LeBron James or the way to 
build the best team around LeBron James, excuse me, is to get a dominant center and shooters around him. And they didn't really do that. Um, aside from, you know, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, uh, who they brought back in a one-year deal, they signed JaVale McGee from the Golden State Warriors, Rajon Rondo from the New Orleans Pelicans, and Lance Stevenson from the Indiana Pacers. And these moves you know, kind of just show me that LeBron knows that he's not going to build this championship team in a year. And I believe as we get towards the times when the Lakers are ready to contend for a championship, we're going to get, you know, a, a big man in there that's a star and you're going to get shooters around on the perimeter. And, you know, it's the pick and roll game, LeBron and that center getting into the paint, kicking out to the shooters, kind of like what you see in the Mike D'Antoni offense in Houston, which is so effective in today's NBA um, that's, you know, for a few years down the road when they can, you know, work on building something in Los Angeles. But for now, all of these signings to me are LeBron getting guys that he respects on an NBA platform and they're just going to wing it. They're going to throw a bunch of shit on the wall, see if it sticks. Um, <clears throat> you know, he's had, you know, playoff moments against, you know, two of these guys. I know JaVale was on the Warriors for a little, but didn't really have that big of a role. But you look at Rondo back in those Celtics days when the Cavs and Celtics were battling in the Eastern Conference. Of course, when the Pacers had their run, Lance Stevenson and LeBron James, they, there's a mutual respect between those players and LeBron James. And really, you know, this is just him. All right, let's get a guy, a bunch of guys together that I know are, you know, going to do, you know, they're going to be dogs on the court. They're going to do what they can in, you know, important moments. They're not going to be relaxed when playing the game of basketball. They're going to be serious in tight situations. <clears throat> and I also think it's really good for the young Lakers to see that culture. You know, Lonzo Ball, who I think might be a little laid back at times, is going to have Rondo on his ass all season. You know, Lance Stevenson is going to be on, you know, Brandon Ingram and Kyle Kuzma's asses all year to really just make sure they're staying on top of everything. Um, and I really think that it's going to really help the future of these young Lakers while also you know putting out the best effort they can um, of course I expect this Lakers team to make the playoffs the West is very tough um, but I can't see LeBron not making the playoffs I do believe that you know this finals run the nine consecutive NBA finals for LeBron James comes to an end obviously um, you know they just haven't built a team yet that can stop Golden State um, from getting to the finals and you know let alone even Houston or Maybe OKC, you know, the Lakers don't have the star power yet to go against teams, you know, with star-filled rosters. And, you know, that run is going to come to an end. I expect him, and hopefully by, you know, three years down the road, they have a team that's ready to, you know, compete in the Western Conference Finals, make that jump to the NBA Finals. <clears throat> but we'll just have to wait and see. Overall, I love this move for LeBron James. Um, it makes a lot of sense. It's interesting, you know, getting to see him in a major market. Of course, I would have loved if it was my New York Knicks in another major market, but seeing him wear the purple and gold is going to be something I'm going to love to watch for the next few years. And now we'll get back to free agency in just a second, but I have a great interview for you with James Ferris, uh, a member of the Breeze, JMU student-run newspaper, a great mind in the world of basketball and football. We're just sticking to football today. Um, me and James previewing the upcoming season for the Cleveland Browns. Here's a listen. I hope you enjoy it. All right, guys, welcome in to the Blake Pace podcast. And I am joined with James Ferris, a fellow writer at The Breeze, and also the co-host of the Good Take podcast. You can find that also on Blog Talk Radio. We are here to talk about the Cleveland Browns. But first off, James, how you doing today? 
I'm great, Blake. It's really good to be on with you. And what a fun team. The 0-16 Cleveland Browns, first mm-hmm. winless team since 2008. We'll see how they turn this around. So I'm very much looking forward to this. Yeah, of course. And, you know, they had a really intriguing offseason. Of course, it started uh, bringing in Tyrod Taylor, Jarvis Landry, Carlos Hyde, to name a few, and then a draft as well. Drafted Baker Mayfield first overall, Denzel Ward at pick number four. What did you feel, um, how did you feel about just the Browns offseason in general as they're approaching hopefully better days in their franchise's history? Hopefully better days, right? I mean, from here, it's only up. I mean, that's the only possible direction they can go. They're Mm -hmm. not going to repeat the own 16 seasons. So a lot of big news. And this, when you have two first-round picks, specifically two in the top four, that's unheard of, unprecedented. And this is going to be the offseason that, for better or worse, defines the Cleveland Browns. This is the offseason we're going to remember. Okay, they had the first pick and the fourth pick. Did they get the best offensive and defensive player in the draft? A lot of scouts question that. Mm-hmm. Most people didn't think they took the best offensive player, not even the best quarterback in the draft. And then most people didn't even think they took the best defensive player in the draft uh, when three offensive players won the top three. So it's going to be very interesting. Um, of course, we won't know until several years down the road whether those picks were the right ones, but it was certainly a lot of gambles um, and a lot still to be decided, a lot of uncertainty. And for a team that, of course, has not had much success, has been kind of the laughing stock of the league mm-hmm. for you know most of recent memory, it's yeah. uh, a lot of big risks, and you do need to take big risks a lot of times to turn things around. I'm not, I'm just not sure they made the right decisions. Uh, John Dorsey, the new general manager. You know, made some bold moves after his time with the Chiefs, and he's not messing around. Um, and so it's going to be very interesting to see if their free agency and draft choices are going to pan out. But I guess we'll start to find out come August and September. Yeah, of course. And, and you know, like you mentioned in that draft, um, I definitely wasn't as high on Denzel Ward as the Browns were. Um, I didn't even have him as, you know, my top-ranked um, cornerback in the draft. I thought they also could have gone on, on the front seven with that. Um, of course you had, you know, maybe one of the better prospects in the draft, Quentin Nelson available if you wanted to take a guard, but then also, like you mentioned with the first overall pick Baker Mayfield, um, I know we've had discussions about Baker. I definitely didn't have him as my favorite quarterback. I definitely thought there were some better fits, um, schematically even for the Browns that weren't Baker. And it's interesting because, um, you know, I've kind of been thinking about this since the draft and, you know, they do have Tyrod Taylor there. I'm not sure that Baker is really going to uh, you know, have the best chance to start any time in this rookie season. I, I, you know, I believe that, you know, the Browns showed up to, you know, you know, uh, OTAs, mini camps, and they're, they're watching their quarterbacks play. And they're like, all right, you know, you know, Tyrod Taylor is a little bit bigger, a little bit taller, man. He's a hell of a lot more athletic than Baker. You know, you know, we took this guy at number one. Was he the right pick? I, you know, in my mind, Tyrod Taylor is the starter for the Cleveland Browns next year. And, you know, for a you know team that is improving, they might have some more success where Baker spends a little more time on the bench than he anticipated. What are your, what are your thoughts about the quarterback situation for next season? Well, it's going to be interesting, Blake. It really is. And I said this on Twitter uh, a little bit after the draft, and I said it's going to be a really bad look if Baker Mayfield isn't starting week one. Mm-hmm. I think the right play would be to start Tyrod Taylor. And someone's like, well, with Deshaun Kaiser, you know, they threw him in the fire day one and, <laughs> you know, um, something like that. And they're like, you know, they, they're learning from their mistakes. They're not going to force him in too early. And I'm like, the big 
first of all, when you take a player in the first round, a quarterback in the first round, first overall, even more so, you have to get a franchise-changing player. Yep. And if you don't think he's a franchise-changing player, then don't take him that high because mm-hmm. you're investing a significant amount of capital in that pick. There's a huge difference between early first round and early second round, not only in the contracts, the paying, and the structuring, but also what it looks like. The perception of that pick is this is our franchise changer. Now, if he is your franchise changer, you better put him in a situation where he can succeed from day one, similar to what the Jets are doing with Sam Darnold. They're gonna, he's probably going to win the starting job. Now, they're not just going to give it to him. He starts third on the depth chart, right? But if he moves past McCown and Teddy Bridgewater, he has a real chance to be that number one guy. Now, uh, when you bring in a guy like Tyrod Taylor and then a guy who um, some people think is pro-ready but you know has some maturity concerns to say the very least in Baker Mayfield, he might not be the best quarterback on his team. I think that's a really bad look. I do not think that's an encouraging sign. And you can make the argument, oh, they're learning from their mistakes, but I think it's completely different. First of all, Deshaun Kaiser hmm. should have been the project. The long term, he was raw. His college coach actually said he wasn't ready to leave Notre Dame. Exactly. Uh, Brian Kelly said he's not ready for the NFL, right? He was the long term, the project, the guy with high upside who needed a few years. And the Browns threw in immediately. Now you get a guy in Baker Mayfield. He had 67% completion percentage in college, one of the highest pass ratings of all time for a college quarterback, uh, pro style guy, um, can make throws for the pocket accurately. This is your win-now, day-one starter guy. Mm-hmm. And so the Browns have completely butchered the situation, playing it wrong. Obviously, it was a disaster with Kaiser last year, starting a guy from the first week who was supposed to be a project. And then when you get a guy who actually might translate well to the pros day one, he's not going to start immediately. They're just playing it completely backwards. So uh, it's a very uh, hairy situation with Taylor and Mayfield. And I just, chemistry-wise, I can't imagine – this is going to go well, um, it, especially character concerns with Mayfield. One of the things is, uh, you know, we can debate how well does he translate to the pros. Is he a college guy, or does he really have the tools to succeed in the NFL? I mean, you could make a good argument either way. One thing that's not debatable, though, is he doesn't handle losing in adversity well. And if his, he's coming from a situation where he's won a lot, mm-hmm. and he won a lot at Oklahoma, but... This team went 0-16 last year. This was a bad team last year. How is he going to handle being benched? How is he going to handle being the second or third stringer on one of the worst teams in the league? And how is he going to handle a two, three, four-win season, potentially? How is he going to handle that? How is he going to handle being the backup on a team that's 2-7? It's It's a very interesting situation. If I were John Dorsey... I would not have brought in Taylor and drafted Mayfield. I would have done one or the other. I think it makes sense. Uh, if you want to bring in Taylor, it's not the worst thing in the world, but maybe take a guy, um, I don't know. I, I'm i not going to say take Josh Allen because I'm not big on him either. Mm-hmm. I would have. It's no secret. I would have taken uh, Sam Darnold, number one. I've said that for months, actually. But, um, it, but I don't know. Hindsight... 2020, and we will find out in a couple years. Uh, but I think the quarterback situation is the huge question mark. So mm-hmm. it, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. Definitely, and it's funny that you mentioned that because I was actually, you know, flipped of you going into the draft process. You were very high on Sam Darnold. 
very low on Josh Allen, and I was kind of reversed. I actually, if I was the Browns, I would have taken Josh Allen. I just believe that he has kind of the the physicals of a guy that I love for the way the NFL is going, kind of a you know a build like Pat Mahomes, whatnot. Um, and it could, sure. could have been that project guy, you know, a guy that doesn't need to start day one, could have sat behind Tyrod in some rebuilding years and see what you had. But, of course, you know, they ended up going in the direction with, you know, none, neither of our favorite guys and went with Baker Mayfield. Right. Um, so, you know, you know, maybe they'll pr- uh, prove both of us wrong moving forward. Um, we'll you know, now looking for the Browns and, you know, not away from the quarterback situation, I want to look at who they're throwing to because – you know, they have an interesting, you know, receiving core. They have a few running backs in there, a nice tandem. What do you think of this um, team's offense in general moving forward? Because, you know, I look at, you know, if Josh Gordon can stay on the field, he's, you know, he's got some um, boom potential. You bring in Jarvis Landry, who is a menace in the middle of the field. You also have got Corey Coleman. You drafted David Njoku last year. Um, what are your thoughts on the, you know, the Cleveland offense as a whole, not just focusing on quarterbacks? Sure. So they've definitely upgraded their skill position players. I mean, that's not debatable. I like I like what they've done on their offense, actually. Mm-hmm. I think uh, now they're bringing in Todd Haley. I think we'll start there first season. Yeah. He was kind of the scapegoat in Pittsburgh, right? Like yeah. their offense, they had some of the best. Uh, ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown, potentially the best receiver in the league. And Le'Veon Bell, you make the argument he's the best running back in the league and one of the top quarterbacks. And you could certainly say that they underachieved a little bit they certainly disappointed um in the divisional round against the jaguars yeah. last year even mm-hmm. though they did put up uh, 40 plus points they did um, lose to blake Bortles. Got a lot of, <laughs> yeah sure exactly they that's hard to forget right um now todd haley i think is respected in nfl uh, circles they a lot of Steeler fans think he's like a check down uh, check down artist kind of um you know the way he orchestrates and wants to run his offense but i think he's a very good a fine coordinator and a really good pickup for this Cleveland team. So mm-hmm. last year, uh, Pittsburgh factoring in their personnel was third in total offense and fifth in scoring. And he's taking over a team that was ranked 24th in yards in dead last in scoring. Mm-hmm. So what have they done to address those needs? Like you said, uh, second end, second year tight end David Jogu. Um, I think from Miami, he's going to be um, one of the X factors on this team. He's one of these guys. You, you have with Cleveland a lot of boomer bust guys, right? right? Top of the list is Josh Gordon. What is he? You know, he is certainly a wild card. Um, with his experience in the league, he's shown you those flashes of like he could be a pro bowler without a doubt. Um, and he's a guy who can be a difference maker for Cleveland. Um, he is 27 years old, so kind of in- entering slash in his prime, especially without many miles on his legs. So that's going to be interesting to see. Is he just a guy? Is he this guy who's saying, oh, he's about to break out, and he never does, like we've seen so many times. Uh, but him and David Njoku, that's a scary one-two punch uh, mm-hmm. physically. Uh, now, Jarvis Landry, <laughs> I'm a big fantasy football guy. Um, I love stats and numbers. And so I've had Jarvis Landry in my points <laughs> perception fantasy league. And he, I think, is one of the most overrated players mm-hmm. um, because I don't think he necessarily translates to wins. Um, oh, yeah. So he's a stats guy. Last year he had 112 receptions, and throughout his career he's posted some really serious numbers. So he played four years in the NFL. He has 400 receptions, so that's 100 per year essentially. But he does not get many yards. So last year he was 17th in receiving yards, 987. Didn't even have a thousand yard receiving uh, season, and. His yards per reception was 8.8. Um, that was among qualified players in the NFL. Uh, that was that number was actually 108, 
And for a guy who I've seen considers himself to be the best receiver in the league, that's kind of laughable, hmm. right? Yeah. Um, his production, he is kind of that, uh, can be a reliable target for a guy like Mayfield, a younger guy, like a, a good safety net underneath the middle. Um, it, and I don't want to completely downplay the importance of a quality slot receiver, but I think he's a role player. He doesn't translate to wins. A guy that could is Josh Gordon, but again, mm-hmm. that's certainly boom or bust. So receiver-wise, I definitely think they have some talent. They have a pretty good combination of high upside guys with that safe guy in Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry is not the guy who's going to lead the team to wins. Can he yeah. be a valuable piece? I certainly think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's not a guy that is going to be a huge difference maker for the team. Now, what I actually think um, could be the brightest spot for this Cleveland team is their backfield. I think they have guys that you know they can kind of plug and play that will work well together. Um, so they brought over Carlos Hyde from San Francisco. That is, again, kind of like a boomer bust pick. Like yeah, he, right. He's had the talent, struggled a little bit with injuries in his career. Um, you pair him with Duke Johnson and then Nick Chubb, who, again, has an injury history, uh, the rookie out of Georgia. Mm-hmm. That is a very intriguing backfield. Uh, certainly average to above average, you can make the argument. Yeah. So behind a pretty stable offensive line. Uh, so that's that's kind of how I would assess their skill position players and supporting cast on the offensive side of the ball. That's that's what I've noticed anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, you know, it's funny because we I talked about you know how we maybe weren't in favor of the Browns first round. I actually wasn't in favor of taking Nick Chubb in the second round. Um, I thought that there were some okay. more valuable guys available at the top of the second round, and I thought that Chubb provides more of a rotational value. Um, and I thought that there were some even potential feature backs then. But, you know, so, you know, I wasn't that happy with the the Browns draft up front. But it, the offense is definitely exciting. And a guy that, you know, I'm kind of, um, you know, my sleeper pick for a guy who might be, you know, one of the better rookies of this class. Um, he kind of had his issues in college, um, you know, had a lot of troubles. Antonio Callaway, wide receiver that was taken in their later rounds. Um, to me, he was a guy that could have been in that top tier of receivers in this class, but fell back because of, you know, um, not, not necessarily – you know, the issues that a guy like Josh Gordon had, but also just had some, you know, you know, the coaches weren't in favor of him. He did have some um, run-ins with the law. He fell down in those later days of the draft. He's a guy that excites me too as a potential guy that could even just, you know how you have in, um, in Pittsburgh, you had the emergence of, you know, like a Sammy Coates for a game or two or something like that. He kind of reminds me of a guy that can kind of maybe mold into that in Todd Haley's offense. Um, but now let's switch sides and let's go to the defense. And, you know, my biggest thing looking at the defense for the Browns, I like the front seven. I think Miles Garrett is a game changer on the football field. Um, and, you know, definitely, in my opinion, the team MVP for the Browns next year. But the secondary is a little scary for me. And, you know, they did make a move, um, traded with Green Bay. Hopefully they can improve that secondary. Uh, what are your general thoughts about the defense for the Browns? Sure. So I think the defense has a chance to be, again, one of the brighter spots for this team. Mm-hmm. Now the Browns scoring offense last year ranked dead last. But their defense was actually uh, pretty good. So they're bringing back Greg Williams, who's a really aggressive defensive coordinator, formerly of the St. Louis Rams and New Orleans Saints. So they were 13th in total defense last year, making yards a lot per game. 31st in scoring defense, which is where they really have to improve. So uh, honestly, in yards per game, they weren't bad at all. Um, this is a team that um, certainly you, you would want a team to be uh, the, the one that bends but doesn't break, right? Like they might give mm-hmm. up a lot of yards, but they really tighten up at the red zone and don't give up um, points. 
but this is a team that that was actually does some upside. Uh, one of the better teams only yards allowed, um, scoring wise, they allowed a ton of points. So I don't know exactly uh, how that happens, but I think there is certainly some potential for the team to keep adding pieces, right? So um, hopefully, you've got to hope this secondary is going to continue to be uh, better, especially in draft and so forth. Now, uh, like like you said, there was a lot of questions surrounding this pick. Um, a lot of people thought he would be a really good uh, player in the defensive back, but was he even the best defensive back in the class? A lot of people are questioning that. Mm-hmm. They could have gone with guys like Minka Fitzpatrick, who ended up going to Miami, yeah. uh, Joe the safety, um, Florida State. They could have gone with those guys, but most NFL scouts thought the far and away best defensive player in this draft was Bradley Chubb. Exactly. Um, another another defensive end. And if again, if you're looking at what is going to win games in the NFL? I think, I think, obviously, number one, you have to have your quarterback, right? You can't mess that up. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of a lot of people think uh, a popular line of thought in the NFL circles is you have to both protect your quarterback and get after the other quarterback. Yeah, exactly. Have a quarterback, protect yours, and get after the other one. And so adding a guy to pair with Miles Garrett in Bradley Chubb or Roquan Smith, the linebacker, to enter that defense, those could have been potential uh, better values. Unlucky 
16. I know they went 0 16, but they really are not as bad as their record. If you look at advanced metrics like Pythagorean win totals and such, um, basically what that does is it takes a look at a team's point differential and looks at how many points they should have based on how many points they've scored and how many points they've allowed. They should have been a two to three win team last year. So mm-hmm. they did have some bad luck. Um, and I think this is a team that's going to improve a little bit. Um, now, exactly how much they improve, uh, we're going to find out. But this is not a team that's going to go win once again. They've made too many moves. The quarterback position is a huge unknown. But uh, this, all in all, is a team that, uh, that hopefully we're going to see take a small step forward. Yeah. And what shouldn't be, besides Pittsburgh, is a is a division they can succeed in, for sure. Yeah, definitely. And so, yeah, we've talked about this. You even said, you know, the offensive weapons might be a bright spot. The defense might be a bright spot. Of course, we've talked about the quarterbacks. You're looking at the AFC North. You said, you know, an estimated they probably should have had two to three wins. Um, you know, do you have a range of their rec- their potential record next season? Um, do you have, you know, a projected place in the division? Because I'm just going to give mine real quick. I do see that win upgrade with the Browns. Um, I actually see them going f- you know, around five and 11 on the season. Um, and actually that places them third in the AFC North. And, you know, in my, in my honest opinion, they're, they're not the worst team in that division. I think that belongs to the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, Uh I, you know, I look at the Bengals and, you know, they do have young, talented players that really could hit in the next few seasons. But I think that there's, you know, you know, problems within the locker room. I don't trust Andy Dalton as a franchise quarterback. And of course that uh, our the coaching staff may be on its last legs there. Um, you know, they got Joe Mixon, they have AJ Green, they have special players that could really boom in the next few years. But next year, I believe just looking at the roster basis, you know, I like, you know, I even like the quarterback play better. Um, you know, I might go in favor of the Bengals running back committee. You know, I'm a big fan of Joe Mixon. I think he's going to have a much better second year. And then with Giovanni Bernard as well. I would go with Cleveland's offensive line, their receiving core, and their front seven as well. So, you know, Cleveland Browns, I'm going to say 5-11, and 11, and I think they finish ahead of the Cincinnati Bengals, who I think might be one of the worst teams in football next year. Agreed. And it, I think it's interesting you said that. I said, you know, I, I have this team, as of now, projected record of 4-12, and 12, mm-hmm. and I think a very, I think the fair, fairest range for them is between 3-5 and five wins. Um, I could see them hitting 5, um, but don't get, let's not get ahead of ourselves. This is not a team that's going to win more than five games. Right. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not going to be able to compete, even in a weaker division. Uh, but I don't think they're a five last year. I don't think they're a zero, one, or two win team. Can no. I see a two and fourteen season? Yeah, it's possible. Certainly, especially if everything worst case scenario, I say they go two wins. But I think the fair range for them, depending on you know how the division looks, and we, it looks one way in late June and early July, and then you look, uh, you know, mid September, mid October, it's completely different. I think uh, I would bet. Money, I'd say there's a 90% chance they're between three and five wins, which I know isn't going out too far on a limb. I have them at four and 12 right now. We'll see. Injury wise, maybe if they suffer a key injury, um, you know, take them down to three. Um, if someone else like Baltimore suffers a key injury, uh, maybe, you know, bump them up to five. But I have them at four and 12 right now. It's funny you mentioned the Bengals, though. I think they're, I'm definitely selling any stock I would have in that. Um, I have them. I have the Bengals at 313. First mm-hmm. of all, Bud Lewis should have been let go uh, last oh, year. Yeah. Even, even though what they've 
they, he has done so much good for that team over the years, but it's been 13 or 14 years without a playoff win. Exactly. And, yeah. um, and, and that's the bottom line. So I, I think the Bengals are going to become a complete wreck next year. So, Browns fans, there is hope. You guys actually might finish third in the division. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but let's not go crazy, right? They're going to be third or fourth in the, the, the division, three to five wins. Uh, I have them at four and 12 right now. Uh, so that's that's what I see the Browns as. I know you asked a little bit about like, the team MVP um, and maybe like a rookie of the year. So mm-hmm. I, I can touch on that real quick. Um, team MVP, I think, um, if they do hit four or five wins, I think it would be Tyrod Taylor. Yeah. Um, the reason why is because the quarterback position, we know how vital it is and how it translates directly to wins. And if you can bring some semblance of a reliable, capable starter, that's something the franchise hasn't had in like 20 years. <laughs> Definitely. Decades, right? Yeah. So if Tyrod comes in, um, I think he uh, he has the potential to take this team from a laughing stock into like, a, hey, they're not very good right now, but at least they have something to build on. Mm-hmm. Now, if Tyrod, it, it's funny how the Browns have potentially shot themselves in the foot again. Mm-hmm. If Tyrod Taylor had, takes them to five or six wins, what do you do with Baker Mayfield, right? Yeah. They were going to be clamoring for an extension for Tyrod. So I think the Browns, even if they do win, it would kind of be potentially being a losing situation in the long term. Um, no, what do you do with Mayfield, right? Who knows, though? It's going to be hopefully more fun than last year. At, at mm-hmm. the very least, it'll be entertaining. Um, then finally, with a rookie of the year, uh, Browns rookie of the year, which you know, is much different than the NFL's rookie year. But um, I think it, you can't say Baker Mayfield. He was taken with the number one pick, but he might not even get uh, playing time exactly. until later in the season, if at all. Um, so in Denzel Ward, we'll see. I don't know how much of an impact he'll have instantly. So I'll go with Nick Chubb. Oh, I think okay. he was a good value early in the second round. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a deep running back class, they could have taken Saquon Barkley with the first pick and gone with Mayfield, Allen, somebody at, at the fourth four, pick. Yeah. But I, I definitely think uh, it's a smart play to hold off on running back and take a guy mm-hmm. with really good measurables. Like at the combine, he ran a four five forty. Um, he's big, he's strong, he's completely ripped. And uh, I think he can be a rotation guy uh, in the system. Uh, in there, there in Cleveland, uh, I think he has some upside as well as a guy you don't have to completely rely on, right? Since you do yeah. have guys like Hyde and Johnson also in the backfield. I think that's going to be a really good pick for them. Uh, maybe someone else will, third or fourth rounder, will pop out and surprise us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think Cleveland, um, you know, I one more thing that really concerns me, a couple things actually I'll touch on. Um, so with Hugh Jackson uh, coming back, you know, for he's won one game in two seasons. He's one in thirty-one, and then they bring in John Dorsey, right? So they uh, they get Sashi Brown out of there, former general man, former general manager, and they bring in John Dorsey, no nonsense football guy uh, from the Chiefs, and they keep Hugh Jackson, who's mm-hmm. won one game in two years. Now, as far as Hugh Jackson, is he an NFL coach or is he just a, cor- a good coordinator? Who knows? I think he. It sometimes gets a bad rap again. They were better than they should have won more games than they did, but that's part of the problem, right? They didn't hit the marks they should have. But the biggest um, part of dysfunction I see with this team, and the biggest cause for concern I have, is that John Dorsey would not tell his head coach 
the draft pick, first overall. Right. Not only did he not let him have a say in the decision, that would be bad enough, right? Mm-hmm. He didn't trust his head coach enough to let him in on the pick. This is the definition of dysfunction because in the NFL front office, you should have the general manager and the coach working hand in hand to ensure the success of the team and to plan for the future, right? Now, normally, general manager has the powers over roster construction, but the coach should certainly have some input. Yeah. And the fact that not only uh, John Dorsey did not trust Hugh Jackson's football opinion and football IQ in making potentially the biggest decision for this franchise in a decade, not only did he not trust his football knowledge, he didn't even trust him to not say to the media, right? There's a clear disconnect between Dorsey and Hugh Jackson. And no matter what happens, like Hugh Jackson's off the door. I think mm-hmm. he's a late dog, which is a really unfortunate situation. Uh, speaking of unfortunate situation, the HBO Hard Knocks documentary series, I think it's going to be a nightmare for this team. Yeah. In case you aren't familiar with it, uh, essentially the camera crews come and they film everything and they put it on TV and they air out everyone's dirty laundry for people to see on TV. Happened to the Buccaneers last season and it was absolutely awful, worst case scenario. And of course with the Browns, um, you know, the whole Mayfield, Tyrod Taylor, Hugh Jackson, and John Dorsey, there's just too much drama. And it's like the absolute worst possible time for this to be happening in the franchise. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to see a scenario where it's like, wow, as a Browns fan, I'm so glad Hard Knocks covered our team. Like, absolutely not. Um, yeah. I think it's going to be that has the potential to be a disaster. Definitely. So, especially with the Mayfield, Tyrod Taylor uh, saga. So, anyway. Yeah. A lot of interesting things going on in Cleveland. Definitely. So. And like you, you mentioned with um with the relationship between the GM and head coach, it was kinda it reminds me of what you saw in Indianapolis um this past season when uh GM Chris Ballard was brought in. Of course they still had head coach Chuck Pagano there for the year. Right. Um really Chuck didn't have much of a say into the draft process, free agency, and then by the end of the season he let Chuck run out his final year with the Colts, let him walk. I kind of see that as a similar situation. And yeah, I agree. The The Browns is um, on hard knocks is quite a fiasco. I just believe you might see a little of Baker Mayfield becoming frustrated when he's not running as much time with the ones as Tyrod. Um, of course that disconnect between GM and head coach, um, you know, people are going to want to focus on Josh Gordon as he tries to maintain relevancy in the league. And is he going to be able to play a full season? There are a lot of questions with that. So it is, it, like you mentioned, it's going to be a very intriguing year for the Cleveland Browns. And, uh, you know, James, I just want to take the time to thank you for coming on. You are the second guest um, of the Blake Pace podcast to go along with your co- uh, co-host of the Good Take podcast. Um, you know, you got the next 30 yes, seconds. Sir. Let's uh, plug, give your plug, give your, you know, where people can find your writing, um, your podcast. What's your Twitter? Let's hear it all. Sure thing, Blake. Well, first of all, I appreciate you having me on. This is a lot mm-hmm. of fun. Um, I love NFL. It's my favorite sport by far. So my Twitter handle, uh, that's the best place to find me, follow me, tweet at me, uh, see what I'm thinking about stuff. That is on Twitter, at J Ferris Sports, F-A-R-I-S, and then sports. That's my Twitter handle. Uh, the new podcast I'm doing with No Ziegler, we're really excited about it. We're building it from the ground up. Uh, and that is on Twitter, at Good take pod uh it's a lot of fun we've done a few podcasts there and we're we've got a lot of good feedback and we're excited about that and then mm-hmm. finally uh you can you can follow my writing on the breeze uh breeze sports section with working under blake uh and then on medium i have a uh, little blog uh, and that is medium.com backslash and then my name which is james 
dash Ferris. Uh, that's that's good stuff. Um, and uh, anyway, that's pretty much all I have. But I appreciate you letting me come on, Blake, and I'm looking forward to talking about more NFL teams later this summer. Yeah, of course. You will hear James on this show as we discuss a few more teams approaching the NFL season. Uh, once again, James, thanks so much for coming on, and we will uh, talk to you again soon. Absolutely. And once again, I want to give a big thanks to James Ferris for coming on the show. I really enjoyed his intake. He definitely understands the game of football really well, and I hope I get to discuss some teams with him as we you know, continue through the NBA offseason, get into training camps and preseason as well. But, you know, while I've got a few more minutes, we're going to jump back to the NBA, um, and we're going to talk about some of the other big signings. So um, probably the most surprising deal to me right uh, as free agency began was Paul George re-upping with the Oklahoma City Thunder on a four-year deal. Um, you know, after so much connection between Paul George and the Los Angeles Lakers, um, it was really interesting to see how little we actually know about what's going on inside these these players' heads. You know, for, for a year, every member of the major media has been sitting here, well, Paul George is going to wait out one year in OKC. He's going to, you know, fall short in the playoffs with Russ and Mello, Steven Adams. And, you know, they're going to he's going to jump ship to the Lakers and, you know, maybe LeBron will join him or maybe some other big free agents will join him and they'll continue to build that, um, you know, rebuild the Lakers franchise. And yet right when free agency started, Paul George immediately announces that he is staying with Oklahoma City on not just another one year deal to kind of wait things out. He's going to commit to a few more years in Oklahoma City trying to get the job done there with his buddy Russell Westbrook. And it just shows um really the relationships that you can form in an NBA season. You know, you, you put it, you know, two stars together, Russell Westbrook and Paul George, and immediately there was a connection there. They immediately, you know, they grew this brotherhood, and it really meant a lot to Paul George because, yes, if Paul George jumped ship to the Lakers, he would have been trying to fit in with a whole another team, a team that honestly has less star power than the Thunder currently do, and they'd have to kind of just make it work and see what they could do. Um... And at the end of the day, I think another big thing that went into Paul George's mindset was he didn't want to be anything less than the number two on a team. And, well, you're going to say, well, Blake, that's just LeBron James. He would be the number two on the Lakers. Yeah, but you're forgetting about Magic Johnson, probably the most outspoken GM in basketball right now, probably one of the biggest names ever in Lakers history, probably the greatest Laker to ever play the game. Magic Johnson, you know, and LeBron, they're one and two right there. And if they brought in Kawhi Leonard, possibly via trade, he's number three. And then you're looking at Paul George as the number four there. Meanwhile, Paul George can stay in OKC. He has a good relationship with the team. He can be the clear number two next to Russell Westbrook. They've got a great center, a good coach in Billy Donovan, a, a deep bench. And they can, you know, try and get things done and, you know, go up against this Golden State team, the Rockets, and try and contend in the West right away. Whereas in, with the Lakers, it's going to be a year or two before they get things really going. Um, I, I like the rest of the moves by the Thunder as well. I thought they were, you know, clear one of the early winners of free agency, aside from Melo opting into his $28 million player option, which definitely hurt salary, uh, you know, issues. Getting Paul George was great. I liked re-upping Jeremy Grant on a three-year, $27 million deal. Um, I believe he adds great depth to, you know, the the forwards um, of Oklahoma City's bench. And then also getting Nerlens Noel in there on a two-year deal, um, a guy that I think still has a lot more value in the league than what he's shown. It kind of fell apart in Dallas because of, you know, not getting along with management, coaching staff. He really wasn't given his chance to shine. And in Oklahoma City, 
I think he could even slide into that starting power forward job if Melo realizes he's better built for the second unit on the bench. Of course, if not, Erlens Noel can come in and be that great backup center. Um, I believe that he provides a lot defensively. Offensively, definitely has to improve, but I think there is a time to do that in the near future. Another team that uh, you know really didn't waste its time bringing back their star player, Chris Paul, signing back with the uh, with the Houston Rockets on a max deal. Um, I love this signing for Houston. You know, Chris Paul, of course, wants to get the job done. There's a lot riding for the Rockets. You know, they had a three to two lead on the Golden State Warriors, the greatest team ever assembled. Chris Paul goes down with that injury, and then, you know, of course, the rest is history. They lose the series in seven games. Chris Paul knows that this Rockets team was that close. And, you know, they did lose Trevor Ariza, which undoubtedly may be one of the biggest losses in free agency to any team this year. Trevor Ariza was brilliant from the corner three, which was necessary in the Mike D'Antoni offense. They definitely have a hole at small forward now that they need to replace immediately. Um, but... They still, you know, can bring back Clint Capella. I expect the Rockets to match any offer that Capella receives from other teams, no matter how big the salary is. And yes, they're going to be paying those three a lot, but kind of like what you see with the Warriors to a lesser extent, when you've got guys that want to, um, you know, contend for championships, they're going to go and get the job done. They're going to take less money. Um, They're going to sit on the bench to try and get the job done. And I think you're about to see a movement of, anti-warrior supporters and what i mean by that is all these guys sign for smaller deals in golden state and we'll talk about one very important guy in just a second but i think you're about to see a bunch of players who are you know like screw golden state we want to take these guys down let's sign some you know let's take less money to be the team to take down golden state and i think we're going to see that with a few destinations you know the lakers who i talked about earlier definitely seem to be like they're heading in that direction in a few years but houston right now is the best shot in the Western Conference taking down Golden State. And, you know, maybe as free agency continues on, we can see them bring in some um, some valuable players to put on their bench, the smart, uh, the starting small forward position. But it all started with Chris Paul. I think they did a great job getting him back um, right off the bat, not wasting any time at all. And now we move on. I guess we're going to end on a sad note here. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins signing a one-year $5.3 million deal with the greatest team of all time. <laughs> the Golden State Warriors added, when healthy, a top three center, saying that, you know, inserting that they have a starting five of top 20 NBA players when healthy. They have the second best player in the world, Kevin Durant. In my opinion, the third best player, Steph Curry. Two other top 20 players, Clay Thompson and Draymond Green. Of course, I've been critical of Draymond Green's shooting ability, um, but what he provides energy wise in the passing game, rebounding, defense, energy, he's all that. He's a, you know, one of the more valuable guys on that roster. And then you add a top three center. You know, if you're counting Anthony Davis as a center, of course, I believe he's number one. Then I'd put, you know, maybe Joel Embiid at number two, although he also has his injury concerns. But nonetheless, DeMarcus Cousins is either second or third, in my opinion. And, you know, he's just, you know, he's coming off an Achilles injury. And that's the big thing. My initial reaction was I just screamed at Twitter when I saw that tweet. Um, that, you know, Shams or Woj, whoever it was that initially reported it, reported that he would be signing with the Warriors. I just screamed and I was mad. But then I remembered, you know, there's still hope that this can all work against Golden State. DeMarcus Cousins is undoubtedly, when healthy, a top three center in the league. 
but he is not healthy. And big men, big men in the NBA do not do well when coming back from an Achilles injury. Of course, some of the bigger names to ever falter through that have been in their 30s. DeMarcus Cousins is a little bit younger, but an Achilles injury on a big man the size of DeMarcus Cousins isn't going to be easy to come back from. Now, he's slated for that January, February return. Some think it might even be March, and then you have to worry about him fitting into the team. You know, is he going to want to, you know, be in that starting role? Probably. He only signed a one-year deal for $5 million. He probably wants to get paid by the end of next season and, you know, make a max contract. But Golden State might say, hey, you're better running our second unit. You know, there's a whole lot of risk that is running with this signing. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because they still have Clay, Draymond, Steph, and Kevin Durant. They have the best team ever assembled. It doesn't matter what Boogie, Bo uh, Boogie Cousins want his wants his role to be. Um, you know, if he's a starter, if he comes off the bench, it's, you know, just an amazing talent to have on there. And it's not going to, you know, knock Golden State away from winning a championship. I still believe that they can get that done. But it certainly isn't something that you want to see uh, as an NBA fan. You know, I kind of want to see this kind of team forming the anti-Golden State team. And I was hoping DeMarcus Cousins could be a big part of that because one of the biggest weaknesses to Golden State was, you know, inside the paint, protecting the paint. Um, JaVale McGee um, and uh, Zaza Pachulia definitely weren't great last year. Kevin Durant was essentially their best rim protector. And that seemed to be the biggest hole. I thought a, a great center um, could really dominate and do some damage against Golden State if there was a good team around him as well. I was kind of hoping that DeMarcus Cousins would be in the foreground of forming that team, that bond to go against Golden State. But of course, he joins them and it certainly, you know, leaves a bad taste in NBA fans' mouths. But of course, we have an entire year until we're back in the playoffs, back in the, you know, NBA finals. The regular season, of course, is for all the young storylines, you know, the, the Donovan Mitchells, the Ben Simmons stories, you know, Kristaps Porzingis, the young guys that we're going to see start off their bright careers. The playoffs is when it gets serious and when we have to start looking at Golden State again. I'm not <clears throat> saying that the NBA season is over. You know, in my mind, Golden State will be the champions next year um, if they're a healthy team. But uh, there's still a lot to enjoy as the year goes on, and we just need to take a step back because that's what I did. I yelled at my Twitter screen. I, I, I screamed. I questioned. I questioned to the gods why this would happen, why such a team would be formed after, you know, winning two consecutive titles and three in the last four years. Why do they have to add a top three center? But I took a step back. I remembered how much I love to watch basketball, and I'm advising everyone who has felt similar to me um, when I saw this news, take a step back, realize we've got an entire year till we'll, we're back in the playoffs. There will be a lot of storylines to enjoy. Who knows who is healthy and who is not on Golden State. Steph Curry's legs still aren't getting any better. Kevin Durant has also had a few surgeries in his career. There's still so many different things that can happen in this upcoming NBA season. We are just, you know, merely like four days into the start of it. Let's take a step back. Let's remember that this league brings so much enjoyment to, you know, millions across the world. And let's just relax. And now that we're relaxed, I will say we are bringing up to the end of the 15th episode of the Blake Pace podcast. I hope you enjoyed this one. We got a little long. We're a little bit over an hour, but I enjoyed all this discussion. A great interview about the Cleveland Browns talking about my man crush, uh, Pat Mahomes, a lot of NBA free agency talk. We'll continue that as the, you know, month of July comes on, get into August, get towards the NBA or NFL season. 
lot of exciting things coming. Follow me as always on Twitter at BlakeAndrewPace. Shoot me an email at BlakeAndrewPace at gmail.com if you have any discussions, anything you want me to talk about. Um, you know, leave a review on iTunes, comment, five-star rating, all that. I appreciate the support that I've been getting for this show. I hope it continues, and we will talk to you on Friday, July 6th.